In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This particular day in the life of the church goes by many different names, and each has much to do with where you may have been raised, whether or not you attended church, and the faith tradition in which you were formed. St. John's Episcopal Church, commonly referred to as Snake Belly Low liturgically, is in Franklin, Pennsylvania, and it's about 70 miles from Puxatawney. That was my first cure. For the Johannines, today is first and foremost Groundhog Day. I have no idea whether all the bellwether groundhogs or woodchucks around the United States saw their shadows or not. Maybe you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, somewhere more mild, maybe like Houston, Texas, where the weather and the woodchucks weren't centermost to your concerns. You may know February 2nd as Candlemas. Before 1967, you may have attended a standard Sunday Mass, but after Vatican II, your parish priest may have blessed beeswax candles for the coming year, all of the candles that would be used in church, and also some that you would use in your own home for daily devotionals and prayers. If you are a cradle Episcopalian, someone born into the faith, and your home church was liturgically middle of the road or broad church, then you probably know February 2nd as the Feast of the Presentation, which is actually the name of the official church calendar feast and what you see on the front of the bulletin today. The cathedral is genetically a broad church with branches of low and high liturgy, the way we do church grafted on over the years. In Mexico, it's a tradition to celebrate the presentation of the Christ child in the temple, and the festivity is closely linked to Epiphany, during which the tasting of the king's cake and the finding of the baby determines who's responsible for organizing candle mass. Perhaps you grew up in an Episcopal church in a parish that was nosebleed high, where the ritual included smells and bells, decades, maybe even centuries of incense wafting and sanctus bells peeling. What may have been characterized as an Anglo-Catholic parish. And you may know February 2nd as the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary which actually is probably the best name for it. So, a little history. So we usually think of the 12 days of Christmas ending at the Feast of the Epiphany, January 6th. But a more ancient feast of the church counts the 40 days after Christmas as the whole season of the Christmas tide, and it ends in the celebration of Candlemas, just as an aside, Queen Elizabeth demands that the tree and the decorations remain on display in Sandringham House during the week of Candlemas, Christmas lights to enlighten the Gentiles. So if your tree and lights are still up, good for you. <laughs> the Feast of the Presentation is one of the oldest feasts of the Christian church, celebrated since the 4th century in Jerusalem. 
And we celebrate today to commemorate this dual feast, the feast of the purification of Mary and the presentation of Christ in the temple. So here's what happens. So after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph were required by Torah to fulfill three different obligations. So first, at the age of eight, that's the first time that Mary would have been able to receive guests. So Jesus was circumcised. Everyone came to the house for this sacred moment because circumcision was a home ritual And it was also the time of naming the child. So during the service of circumcision, the child was given his name. In this case, it was Jesus. Second, at 31 days old, he would have been brought to the temple in Jerusalem for the service of dedication as the firstborn male. So when he was 31 days old, Joseph would have been required to kill a sacrifice of the firstborn of his cattle, firstborn of his sheep, and offer them as a sacrifice. We hear more about this in this story. So today is the 40th day after Christmas and the third ritual of childbirth. And this ritual has to do with Mary, and it is called the rite of purification. Mary needed to be purified. She gave birth to a boy, so she was deemed unclean for seven days, and then she was to spend the next 33 days in the blood of her purification. Essentially, she was homebound for 40 days. Now, I'll tell you, my inner feminist doesn't come out too often, and this, my friends, is something for another sermon. (laughs) So, the reason they end up at the temple in the first place isn't really about Jesus, But once they get there, the story shifts. So Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph, they run into the old guard, good, long-standing members of the temple. We might call them matriarchs or patriarchs, but I think actually more powerfully and accurately, they are prayer warriors. They are there all the time. And in today's gospel, we hear the story of Simeon and Anna. Simeon, whose primary hope before he dies is to see the child who is to be the Lord's Messiah. And the prophet Anna, who recognizes the baby Jesus as the one to redeem Jerusalem. And in the Lucan passage, if it sounds familiar to you, it may be because it is the backbone of the great 4th century canticle, the Nunc Dimittis, the Song of Simeon. Now thou dost dismiss thy servant, O Lord. We still hear it today in our services of Compline and Evensong. Simeon and Anna have this hope, and it is a lofty hope, and it is not unobtainable. And their hope, it's not seen through rose-colored glasses. Simeon declares that this child is going to bring about the fall and the rise of many. And he says that a sword will pierce Mary's heart, that she will have this deep sorrow. But this hope that they have, it's it's not a utopia where everyone lives happily ever after. Rather, Simeon is speaking the word of the law, perhaps alluding to the fact that those in power and those in religious power who have neglected or taken advantage of others, 
let's just say that things that have been old must die when things that are new are born. Such as these will fail. This feast of the presentation, while it's not often celebrated on the Lord's Day, it's still a very popular story in the minds of many Episcopalians. I think not hearing it as often as we do anymore really is a shame. With the shift in the church where the Eucharist becomes central to our Sunday experience, we lose the words of this great song. Anyone here grow up in an Episcopal church where three weeks out of the month was morning prayer and only one week was the Eucharist? Yeah, so we miss those words. We miss the words of Simeon, Lord, you now have set your servant free to go in peace as you have promised. For these eyes of mine have seen the Savior whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people Israel. We miss this moment where the Christ child is brought in and put literally into the hands of Simeon. And basically what he says is, this is it. I can die. I can finally die. I can finally go in peace. It's both a moment where there is a coming in and also a moment of a going out a moment where the Christ comes in and where Simeon and Anna will go out into the world. Simeon's song does not just sum up the hopes of an old man, an old man who longed desperately for the redemption of Israel, but I think it strikes a deep chord within all of us, a chord to see hope a cord to experience hope, a looking forward to and a working toward the kingdom of heaven. And it is through this light of the Gentiles, through this Christ, that we see the glory of God's people and we see salvation. What gets less play, I think, because of her words not being recorded, because she's a woman, is the prophet Anna. And Luke tells us she was also waiting. She was waiting for something specific. She was waiting for Jerusalem to be restored. I don't know about you, I hate to wait. I hate to wait for anything. I hate to wait for a bus, an important phone call. I can just imagine how much impatience there must have been in waiting for the birth of the Savior and for him to come to the temple. So this Feast of the Presentation, it's not just about Jesus. It's not just about Mary or Joseph or Anna or Simeon. It's about us. It's about the hope that is in the Christ child as each of us gets the opportunity to hold him as the light to enlighten the nations. You know, I hear a lot around the church in different circles, whether it is clergy conferences, general convention. The Episcopal Church is dying. One of these days, we're just going to be a boutique church where, you know, we'll be just like everyone else and and we just have to accept that. You know, my friend Bishop Sean Rowe says that is a lie from the pit of hell. 
It's a lie. We are at a time in our history that I believe the world desperately needs the Episcopal Church. Desperately needs it. Desperately needs our hope, our faith, our love, our joy. And I don't think it is inconsequential that we are experiencing this particular feast in the middle of a time that is so dark for so many. It is winter for so many. It is a time of depression for so many. It's a time of loss for so many. This end of January, 1st of February. And when I hear that the world doesn't need the church, that the world doesn't need us, it makes me sick. Because I look out into this congregation and I see hope. I see joy. I see faith. I see people who are called to transform the world. I see people doing it day after day after day. I see it in our dean. No matter what is going on in the world, no matter the trauma we're dealing with, he is kind. Every day kind when so many are suffering. And that's our call as Episcopalians. Our call is to be people of prayer, people of reading the scripture, people of fasting, people of community. So when I think about what Simeon and Anna saw, I think they saw this. I think they saw the hope of the world. I think they saw people who knew the kingdom of God needs us. Needs us, needs our strength, needs our voice, needs our presence. So when you are despairing, know this. We are called and gathered as community for a reason. We are called to present ourselves here in this cathedral to be fed in word and sacrament to be fed in ritual, but mostly to be fed in our faith and our hope and our joy. Often for me, I think things boil down to, dear Lord, let Monday be better. I don't know if it's that way for you, that we're hoping for the small things. That's okay. Put your hope in the small and in the large. Put your hope in the hands of Simeon and then put them in the hands of the Christ who holds us up to God and says, look at these, my beloved. They are the light to the world. We are the light that God has called. We are the presence of the Christ in word, in sacrament, in faith, hope, and joy. And we are the people that allow God to say, you now can set your servants free. Send them out into the world to go in peace, to love and serve. It is their eyes that have seen the Savior, the Savior that God prepared the whole world to see. It is these people who are the light to enlighten the nations and the glory of God's people, Israel. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.